Today's worship recording is from this past Sunday, June 25th, 2017, the third Sunday after Pentecost. June 25th is also the anniversary of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession in uh, 1530, was when it was presented to Emperor Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor. Charles V was hoping that he could finally settle this debate between the so-called Lutherans, the followers of Martin Luther, and the Roman Catholic Church, so that he could have a unified church and that his peoples would mostly then be unified in order to help fight off the invading Muslim armies that were poised at his doorstep. And so they gathered at Augsburg in the hopes of reconciling their differences. The Lutherans came with a prepared statement saying this is what we believe and this is what we do not believe and demonstrating from scripture and church history that what they were saying they believed was exactly in line with what scripture said and with what the church had always taught. The Roman Catholic Party came back with what we call the confutation, um, their kind of response to the Lutherans, but by and large, the confutation did not have the same sort of textual um, backing that the Lutheran presentation had. And then the Lutherans would eventually respond with what we call the apology to the Augsburg Confession, or the defense of the Augsburg Confession. And so, from that point on, June 25th, 1530, the Lutherans came to realize that they would have to be a separate church if they wanted to still interpret scripture and teach in their churches according to what the Bible says. Um, and so June 25th, 1530, often recognized as the birthday of the Lutheran church, as opposed to the posting of the 95 Theses um, nearly a decade earlier, which is recognized as the uh, the beginning of the Lutheran Reformation. So in the worship service audio that you will hear here, um, we will also have a variety of confessions of faith taken from the Augsburg Confession. Um, and the sermon then will talk about the concept of righteousness from Romans chapter 4. That righteousness is not, in God's eyes, Righteousness in God's eyes is not a quality um, that we can attain, but it is a declaration by God that you are righteous purely and solely and only because of Jesus Christ. And this righteousness is made yours purely through faith and not through anything that you or I could have done. So here we go. Worship audio from June 25th. 2017, Pentecost 3, and the celebration of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. God bless your day. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship at Shepherd of the Lakes. On this third Sunday after Pentecost, also happens to be the 487th anniversary of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. Um, so, fairly good day for the Lutheran Church, actually. It's, it's like commonly recognized as the birthday of the Lutheran Church. And we'll, we'll discuss it a little bit in our worship service today. We've got various segments pulled out of the Augsburg Confession as part of our Confession of Faith, or our Statement of Faith. The service is mostly outlined for you in your service folder. We'll begin with our opening hymn, as preached for you there, and then continue on page 45 in the front portion of your retina. God bless you.
arrive in the front part of your rectangle. Please pass.
We continue on page four in your service folder. Our first reading from the Old Testament prophet Hosea, chapter five and the beginning of chapter six. God and the Israelites basically have a conversation. I will go. I will return to my place until they are judged guilty. And they will seek my face in their distress. They will seek me eagerly. Come, let us return to the Lord. He himself has torn us, but he will heal us. He is wounding us, but he will bandage us. He will restore us to life after two days. On the third day, he will raise us so that we may live before him. We will know. We will pursue knowledge of the Lord. His coming forth is as sure as the coming of dawn. He comes to us like the rain, like the spring rain that waters the earth. What will I do to you, Ephraim? What will I do to you, Judah? Your loyalty is like a mist in the morning, like early morning dew that goes away. That is why I have cut them into pieces by the prophets. I have killed them by the words of my mouth. The judgments against you are spreading out like light. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and knowledge of God rather than God. We continue with the first portion of our confession of faith as printed for you there. It is with one accord, taught and held, that there is one divine essence, which is named God and truly is God. But there are three persons in the same one essence, equally powerful, equally eternal. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are one divine essence, eternal, undivided,
Romans chapter 4. Atonement for all sin, that is, justification pronounced upon all people, received only through faith alone. Hoping beyond what he could expect, he, that is Abraham, believed that he would become the father of many nations, just as he was told, this is how many your descendants will be. He did not weaken in his faith, even though he considered his own body as good as dead, because he was about 100 years old. And even though he considered Sarah's womb to be dead, he did not waver in unbelief with respect to God's promise. But he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the statement, it was credited to him, was not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom it will be credited, namely, to us who believe in the one who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. He was handed over to death because of our trespasses, and was raised to life because of our justification. Part 2. It is taught that we cannot obtain forgiveness of sins and righteousness before God through our merit, work, or satisfactions, but that we receive forgiveness of sins and become righteous before God out of grace, for Christ's sake, through faith, when we believe that Christ has suffered for us, and that for his sake our sin is forgiven, and righteousness and eternal life are given to us. For God will regard and reckon this faith as righteousness in his sight. To obtain such faith, God instituted the office of preaching, giving the gospel and the sacrament. Through these, as through means, he gives the Holy Spirit who produces his faith where and when he wills, and those who hear the gospel. It is also taught that at all times there must be and remain one holy Christian church. It is the assembly of all believers, among whom the gospel is purely preached, and the holy sacraments are administered according to the gospel. For it is not for the true unity of the Christian church that the gospel is preached harmoniously according to a pure understanding, and the sacraments are administered in conformity with the divine word. It is thought that baptism is necessary, that grace is offered through it, and that one should also baptize children, through whom, who through baptism are entrusted to God and become pleasing to Him. Concerning the Lord's Supper, it is taught that the true body and blood of Christ are truly present under the form of bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, and are distributed and received there. Concerning confession, it is thought that private absolution should be retained and not abolished. However, it is not necessary to enumerate all misdeeds and sins, since it is not possible to do so. Concerning repentance, it is thought that those who have sinned after baptism obtain forgiveness of sins whenever they come to repentance, and that absolution should not be denied them by the church. In repentance is nothing else than to have contrition and sorrow or care about sin, and yet at the same time to believe in the gospel and absolution that sin is forgiven and grace is obtained through Christ. Our verse of the day is printed for you there. Alleluia. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Alleluia.
Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Please rise for the reading of the gospel. Today's gospel reading from Matthew chapter 9, we see the mercy of God displayed in the call of Matthew. As Jesus went down from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. He said to him, Follow me. Matthew got up and followed him. As Jesus was reclining at the table in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners were actually there too, eating with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, The healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In fact, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Part 3. Concerning church government, it is taught that no one should publicly teach, preach, or administer the sacraments without a proper call. Concerning church regulations made by human beings, it is taught to those that may be kept without sin and that serve to maintain peace and good order in the church, such as specific celebrations and festivals. This is a summary of what is preached and taught in our churches for proper Christian instruction and the comfort of consciences, as well as for the improvement of believers. This teaching is clearly grounded in Holy Scripture and is neither against nor contrary to the universal Christian church. You may be seated for our next day, number 384.
consider especially our reading from Romans chapter 4. It's been said that only the fool has himself for a lawyer. How true it is. And by nature, fools, all of us. Because what God lays out in his word for us today, and in the chapters preceding Romans chapter 4, it really tells us that there is basically a little lawyer inside you and inside me, with his own opinion about everything. Sometimes, sometimes that opinion is correct. Pastor Hagen, you need to not speed on the way down to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Sometimes that opinion isn't correct. I'm a good person. Look at what I do. Or accusing. And accusing, especially when the action, the intent, is still God. Why would you hold to the truth of God's word? Because that, that is unloving. The conscience wants to bring us back in line with the sinful world around us. Because that's the thing about that little lawyer. His vision and his judgments and his guidance are clouded by sin. But each one of us has that opinion. It's this opinion of the law, really. This opinion of the law, this idea of what God's law actually says, and in what degree and to what respect God's law applies to me. He stands up. He stands up when I help somebody across the street to pat me on the back. Good job. Good job. You're a good person. Or when the candy bar is slipped into the back pocket and conveniently forgotten about it at the convenience store, he stands up to wave his finger. That was not correct. You should go back and pay for that, especially before you leave the parking lot. The little lawyer, the little lawyer that could, one might say, the little voice that accuses sometimes and sometimes defends, always, always speaking up. And watch out, because only the fool has himself for a lawyer. But this truth, this truth of the existence of the conscience, and every, every single person has one, this truth really helps us see, helps us see why people do what they do why each of us does what we do in the world at large. Why people, even unbelievers, do what they do. Why does everybody need a cause? A flag to take up and wave. Don't trample on my rights or the flip side. And this is what we have to do to save the world today. Let's march to, to stop global warming, but not through nuclear forces or nuclear energy. Let's, let's design our own flag and wave that and gather together under that. Because that's what love really looks like, right? Everybody has a cause. doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum one might find oneself on. The causes differ, but at their core, they're the same. A little lawyer that could. Really. 
A little lawyer that says, if I want to be righteous, if I want to measure up, if I want to consider myself a good person, then I need to have this set of criteria that will affirm what I want to feel about myself. And people say, I heard it just a couple days ago, people will say that the Word of God is doesn't really apply to my life. Pastor Hagen, why would you take the time to go with your congregation through the book of Romans? How many times have we studied that in the last four years? At least three by my count. And there are so many concepts that just seem like esoteric words. Like we just spin terms and, and apply a word to something, apply a word to this abstract concept and try to bring it down to earth and apply it to my life, but boy, it's tough sometimes. Atonement, last week. Righteousness, this week. What does that have to do with me today? Why do these things really matter? Because, well, God loves me. And how do I know? There's the rub. The conscience little lawyer that could speaks up and says there's nothing to worry about. You're right with God. You're righteous in God's eyes. Just, just look at your resume if you're feeling, feeling a little worried about it. Look at how you have bent over backward for your family. Look at the causes that you support. Look at how much you have sacrificed for the things that you treasure. And even how much you have sacrificed for the things that you don't like and how tolerant you are of opposing viewpoints. If you want a checklist of your righteousness, you don't have to look very far because that little lawyer will speak up and provide his judgment and his opinion all to say, it's okay. But his vision, myopic at best. Cloudy. In need of spiritual laser? Sure. The Pharisees were in that same boat. As were Old Testament Israel. When God speaks through Hosea, the people say to themselves, What more could God want from us? We're doing all the sacrifices. We're, we're doing the requirements of the law. And God's word to them, echoed by the word of Jesus, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, that little lawyer, that little conscience, and what it advocates for, and the opinions it renders, if it's not in line with the Word of God, then his judgments and his opinions are useless. Because at the end, at the end, it's not the opinion of your conscience or mine that matters. It's not the conscience's opinion of God's law that matters. What, the, what does the word of God say? You know this. Because sometimes that conscience is wrong. Sometimes that conscience convicts you and speaks up and says, oh, you remember what happened 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? Are you sure God has forgiven you for that? Because it doesn't feel like it right now. 
And sometimes that conscience speaks up and accuses, accuses when actually the action is godly. But each of us, each of us by nature, kind of just follows along with what that little voice says, seeking to justify ourselves in our actions. Whether it's a big thing like political movements or a small thing just says, well, I can have another run because I went on a walk today. i got to justify this, right? I feel like a good person, and I want to lay my head on my pillow at night and say, see, it's okay. My action is proper and godly. Constantly, every day, spinning the wheels and wondering, trying to provide an answer that never quite sticks more than that brief feeling of rightness. How in the world, how in the world can I know where I really stand? If this little voice, this little opinion that speaks up, sometimes says yes, sometimes says no, and I'm always chasing, trying to fulfill his demands, trying to measure up to what he says, and that little lawyer is never satisfied. Should we just take up another cause? The final official about every time I have a piece of cake. <laughs> I knew about that. Where shall we turn? And all of a sudden, that cloudy and perhaps fuzzy concept of righteousness, what in the world does this mean? It's brought down to earth. With the picture of, in this case, Abraham. But you could have just as well used Matthew and the sinners gathered around him at that banquet. What is righteousness? What does it mean to be righteous in God's eyes? What do I have to do, little lawyer? What do I have to do to really finally measure up? What is the cause that will bring peace to my conscience? What is the action? What is the checklist that I have to follow? And all that God sweeps it aside it says, you're Christian. Jesus died for you. Do you believe this? You're Christian. You are righteous in God's sight. Do you believe this? Because it's not about your actions or efforts. Just look at what we read through with the Augsburg Confession today. It's not about who you are and what you've done about God's declaration, what God has said about you, that yes, purely because of Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection, communicated to you and placed upon your head and in your mouth through word and sacrament and in your ear, that forgiveness given to you once again to say you are righteous. Of course, that little lawyer, that conscience, tries to render his opinion. But time out. <laughs> Me? I was already righteous on the one side. I'm not that bad of a person. I haven't even gotten a speeding ticket in the last six years. And on the other side, me? How could I be righteous? Surely, surely God hasn't seen what I did. Surely God doesn't know what I have thought, what sort of thoughts I've permitted to linger, what sort of actions I've carried out. 
Surely, surely the judgment of God's word is wrong. And for that, God says, well, just wait a second. Because the objective standing before God, the objective status that is yours, is tied together with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The translation that we have here, the new uh, EHV, parts of which are available on Amazon, really improved verse 25. Romans 4, verse 25. He was handed over to death because of our trespasses and was raised to life because of our sin, or because of our justification. In other words, the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead is God's declaration over your life. The historical fact that Jesus appeared body and soul in that upper room is God's historical proof upon your life. And the fact that Jesus today rules with all things under his feet is God's continuing declaration that that little voice, that little lawyer that sometimes accuses and sometimes defends, is God's, really God's declaration upon that voice to be quiet and be still. Because as, as helpful as that conscience may be, especially when informed by the word of God, his judgments don't really hold any sway in God's court. When our conscience accuses us, God, who is greater than our hearts, says, you have been forgiven. When our conscience defends us, God comes back with his law and says, but you're Christian. Are you holy? That's what we had in, in Hosea. God had this conversation with his people. Kind of a back and forth. He is wounding us to abandon us. And people are saying, look at what God is doing to us. He's just crushing us. And yes, God did bandage his people. Not with the, uh, the encouragement to just go and live and try harder. But with the grave clothes of his son, risen from the dead. And so this question, and this comment, this opinion that our conscience constantly renders. Really, behind every action that humans undertake, what can I do to really measure up? What can I do so that I feel righteous, at least in my own eyes, and among those whose opinion I value? Constantly chasing after the wind, and to all that, God says, be still. You know that I am God. Because Jesus has died and risen as the declaration of your forgiveness. And that question was really behind the whole, really what prompted the whole ordeal at Augsburg. When these, these Lutheran princes, it was kind of a mixture of politics and religion that somewhat foreign to our American ears, but these Lutheran princes over various provinces in Germany. Germany, they all gathered together and stood up before the Holy Roman Emperor, I mean the guy who, who ruled all of Europe, who had the backing of the Pope, who had armies at his call. They stood up and said, this is what we believe. 
that our standing before God does not depend on what we have done or continue to do by our own satisfactions or merits, but that we are justified, that is, God has declared us righteous, purely and only for the sake of Jesus Christ. And God has made this certain and sure and given this to us, actually given it to us, in his word and his sacraments. Not so much dry and dusty history, now, is it? Because, because you and I both know the conscience, sometimes a little too well. And it's very easy for a Christian to think, well, I've got this covered. I don't, I don't need to spend time in the Word of God because I know how I feel and, and I measure up more or less. And to all that, God still says, that is, yes, the opinion of your conscience. But what does the Word of God say? That God justified, God declared righteous, the ungodly, you and me. That for the sake of Jesus Christ, all the spinning of wheels that you and I do subconsciously and unconsciously in our lives, all the spinning of wheels that our world does trying to find the cause that will finally, finally make it feel like I put I measure up. All that blown away in the wind. Blown away by the breath of God's mouth washed away by the blood of his son, washed away in the waters of baptism, and now Jesus says, you are righteous. So please, remember that. As you go back to your daily life, the question in the back of your mind, why am I doing this? Why do I feel this way? Why do I do what I do? It's the same question that even the, the atheist Socrates taught his students to ask. He said, the greatest thing is to know oneself. Really, to know why you do what you do. And Christ answered to that. Well, now, now that you've been baptized, brought into the family of God, Nourished through word and sacrament, the reason why? Purely, only, always, ever. Because Jesus has declared you to be righteous. That this may should be one of these. That uh, little star on the front of the bulletin. That he's picked you up and he's made you clean. He said, this really is who you are. Never mind what that little lawyer that could. Never mind what he says. This is who you are. So please, shine like stars in this universe as you hold out the word of life. The truth of God's righteousness that is yours. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all human understanding and especially beyond the voice of the conscience, may this peace be yours today and always through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to turn to page 48 in the front part of your red hymnal where you'll find the page.
and God, our Heavenly Father, you established your for our good and commanded us to honor this holy estate. We ask your blessing upon Terry and Dylan Johansson as they have entered their marriage. Be present, we thank you for having been present to witness their vows of mutual faithfulness and love, that they may begin their wedded life with you. Help them always to remember with thankfulness that you have brought them together. Dwell in their hearts and in the home they are establishing, so that their lives and their marriage will glorify you through Christ our Lord. All this we ask as we go to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Let us praise the Lord.
The announcements are printed for you there. I'll just highlight that top one if you're around today at 4 p.m. until 7. Okay. Um, graduation out at Cedar Creek for Gabe and for Jake. Um, the other one, we've got a front and back with a little bit of history about the Augsburg Confession and mostly the, the politics that went behind it. I'll just highlight that, uh, that third paragraph. Um, I've read through it again this morning, or yesterday, I guess. This kind of struck my struck my ear because there was especially one lady back in uh, back in Ottawa who said, Pastor Hagen, why can't we all just you know get together and and we'll find out what we agree on and what we don't, and then we can get it sorted out from there. Um, but that third paragraph, the intention was to consider with love and kindness the opinions and views of everybody in order to reduce them to one single Christian truth and agreement. So we're even hopeful for a true reformation of the church. Sounds like you could have written that today, because you know the idea of there are so many so many churches and they all lead to the same place, um, and teachings and doctrines don't really matter. Well, they do. I don't know where I was going with that, but it just kind of jumped out. We got a few minutes to read through that. Um, I'll try and include it in the messenger this week. God bless you, Dad. We do also have the quarterly opportunity. Should be a short one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, short quarterly orders meeting today, and then we'll find out some Bible class afterwards.